Greetings, friends. What's up, everybody? It's your old pal Griffey here. Uh, had to start the show with a bit of a pre-roll addendum. So this week, we were super fortunate to be able to talk to a, a director that Alex and I both admire a lot, um, creator, writer, director of a film called I Trap the Devil, which we absolutely adore. As we mentioned later, you should uh, go buy that, rent that right now, check that movie out. It's really awesome. We liked it so much, we got a hold of Josh and uh, begged him to come on the show and talk movies, and he came up with the idea of talking about Green Room, which is even better and the more we got to know the guy it makes perfect sense that he would love this movie it's awesome the reason you're hearing me first before this delightful episode is that due to a technical snafu right it was storming when we recorded i don't know i don't know how these these devils uh get in the machines or whatnot but about halfway through the show my microphone switches from my deluxe luxurious studio mic you can hear now uh, to just built-in microphone audio, and it sounds a little different. Um, so it's not as good and ideal a sound for my voice as I wish, but Josh and Alex still sound great, and Alex is, uh, Josh is such a, Alex too, don't let him hear this. Josh is such an insightful and interesting guy. I don't want you guys to hear my microphone switch and think something happened and turn the show off. Stick with it, guys. You will appreciate uh, Josh as much as we did. Enjoy the show. Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and Patrick Stewart. Wow, really? Patrick Stewart? Well, I was, I was going to say Nazi, but I figured you didn't want that hung on you this early in the show. Doesn't even matter, but I'm Alex Dandino. <laughs> I think a lot of people would say it matters. Uh, tonight, we are joined on a, as a very special occasion, man. We are joined by uh, our new friend, film director extraordinaire from a movie that we love and have covered on this show, I Trap the Devil, on Hulu. You should pause the show. Go watch that as well right now. Uh, spread the love. Our friend, Josh Lobo. How's it going, guys? Also, quickly, what's up, hold on one sec. It, it's on Hulu, but you could rent it. You could rent. You could rent. Yeah, it. pay full. I actually <laughs> bought it. You guys should buy it. Like, <laughs> here I am, just like let's just fucking undercut. No, <laughs> I bought it for full price. You guys can do that. You're getting your Trump checks now available. Spend that shit on I Trap the Devil. <laughs> yeah, spend some of that stimulus on I Trap the Devil. <laughs> yeah, that's what stimulus is for. Independent films, man. Yeah. Get, like so tweeting at me they like tweet at me and they'll just be like i trapped the devil download link and i'm like no don't (laughs) they tweet that to you (laughs) oh the fucking savages of the internet all right man well this is a special night for us uh we got a hold of josh and asked him to come on the show because we're big fans and he chose a movie that is fucking perfect uh for us to discuss on the show josh would you like to uh, let everyone know what movie we're talking about tonight and then fill them in on why you thought this would be a perfect episode? All right. So tonight we're going to be talking about Jeremy Saunier's, in my opinion, his masterpiece as of now, uh, Green Room. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, the the, the best uh, punks versus Nazis movie to ever be made. <laughs> A much underserved yeah, genre, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially nowadays, man. We need more people versus uh, Nazis, right? We're done with zombies now. We need more punks. We've done versus every Nazis. group versus zombies. If there's anything, this movie proves. Night, night of the living fascist. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I will tell you this. I remember seeing this in theaters, and it just fucking ran me over, right? Like yeah. I felt like the kid in Pet Cemetery when I walked out of the theater, because that is not at all the movie I thought I was getting. And what's really funny is I might not have seen this movie since theaters, and it has the exact same impact, even knowing what's coming. Yeah. It's just a fucking gut-wrenchingly brutal movie. It is. <laughs> it, it This this movie is so – it has, like, a special place in my heart for so many reasons. Uh, one is that, like, it was it was the sort of the crux for me going to my first film festival. I uh, it, 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 was, it played at Cannes at Director's Fortnite – and I was super high on Blue Ruin, and I remember just being like, I didn't even know it existed, and all of a sudden, you know, if you've seen Blue Ruin, it's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And and just like hearing that the guy who made Blue Ruin is making like a Nazis, like a Nazis versus punks, you know, siege film that's like John Carpenter, you know. So <laughs> I, I just like found the very first film festival that like in you know the next couple months to like that it was playing at, which is Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas. And I, I flew there, and like during the duration of Fantastic Fest, I watched the movie three times. <laughs> I just, wow. I just kept going to it, and was like, just so high on it. And then like it eventually came out, you know, the previous April, and in like a five day period, I saw it six times in theaters. I just kept going. I just, yeah, wow. it's, it's the most I've ever seen a movie in theaters, and I, I don't regret it at all. <laughs> Nor so okay, Josh, if you had to summarize, what would you say? is the thing that just reached out and grabbed you, right? I always say, like, what's the movie magic thing that just you can't... Like, you know, we all have it about weird movies. Like, this week, I've been watching uh, the Leprechaun sequels and Highlander 2 nonstop. (laughs) And it's like, it's just hard to explain. It just happened, right? What is it about this movie that you think is the biggest factor jumping out and just, like, kept you coming to the screen for a fix? I I, honestly, I don't know. I just think it was... uh... It was. It sounded so fresh and so interesting, and it was like coming. It was like a great. It's like, I mean, it's a great premise, and it was coming from a filmmaker who basically, you know, he made this like super low budget film that just felt like it was made for thirty million dollars, and you know, he got he he like the cast like Imogen and Anton Yelchin and Patrick Stewart like together in like yeah. a Nazi siege film, and like right before it had premiered at Cannes, they dropped a clip of it. And it's it's the clip with like uh, Big Justin where he's like, they're not bullets, they're cartridges, you know. And, like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> that scene, I I just was so excited about that scene because it felt for me it felt like like I was watching somebody of the, like the same kind of ilk as Tarantino. It just I just yeah. it had it's like hyper stylized dialogue that just fits so well that I'm like, oh, I am I am so sold on this, and just like the I don't know, yeah, it just. The whole the whole package, the promise of it was so strong that I just think that, and you know, I still even still I know the movie is like appreciated and people love it, but I still don't think it's like appreciated enough. Which you know, yeah, I would yeah, say that's I, probably a fair. That's definitely a fair assessment of this movie. Like, there's no 
I still catch too many people not knowing what it is when I bring up green room. People say, <laughs> what's green? Like, at a venue? I'm like, well, yes, but no, the fucking movie. Like, pay attention. Like, we're talking about <laughs> movies. Like, it's so good. And it's so brutal. And, I like, I remember going to see this in the theater on a whim. Like, I didn't know anything about it. I went with my wife and my friend Evan. And we walked, we went into the theater and none of us had anything other than, like, Oh, Patrick Stewart's a Nazi. Well, sure, why not? <laughs> That's all you need for That's any. Honestly, <laughs> like, and, I mean, like, and again, like, I knew the guy. I knew that uh, he had made Blue Ruin. I'm like, oh, I like Blue Ruin. I'll, I'll see Green Room. So we sat there, and I was like, is this going to be like a color series? Like, it was the next movie going to be like Red Scare or something like that? <laughs> but I remember sitting in the theater, and I've never in my life gone from laughing so hysterically because, like, I thought when they play Nazi punks fuck off. I was dying laughing. I'm like, holy shit, this is hilarious to pure terror. As soon as Alia uh, uh, walks back into that fucking room, I'm like, never mind. I'm terrified. I don't know what's going to happen next. Oh my God. It was. Yeah. Well, this is what I think is such strange a great about extreme. the movie. Dude, for sure. But, but I think what you were saying, I, I think it's weird that it's not more prevalent because I, everyone is so on Tarantino's jock all the time. Right. Yeah. He's not making a lot of movies all the time. This feel it has the same things you like about Tarantino without being a ripoff. Yeah, like it has all the things we like about Tarantino, but in a natural new voice version, right? And it gets in so fucking hard. I think that the, the thing I took about this movie is the the unusual balance of it's one of those movies where I immediately don't trust the director anymore. So every <laughs> scene it becomes like Paranormal Activity, where I'm like. What the fuck? What the fuck? Like, you always... What's the worst thing they could show me? Right. And that's what I'm afraid of all the time. But then I was shocked this viewing. There are so many really good heartfelt moments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because the yeah. band starts off, right? That they just kind of drunkenly crash in a field and they're going to steal gas. And they're not wildly likable at no. the start by by their actions, right? But for some reason, I still... I don't know. By the time they're playing in a like Chi-Chi's like that scene, I was just, it's so relatable and it's so fail. You know? yeah. It's just like, you just kind of all of a sudden are in the journey with this band. Yeah. It's really a cool balance. They achieve. I think it's like, it's, it's biggest thing is that it, it manages to be uh, like, I feel like this hit. Oh, I, I, I know uh, probably about what was it like 2014 John Carpenter started to have a resurgence and people started to love Carpenter again. And there, you know, there were a lot of movies that, you know, which I, like, I love like Adam Wingard's the guest and, you know, like cold in July. Um, there's like a lot of movies that felt they were inspired by Carpenter and they're great movies, but they, they definitely felt like they were paying homage to Carpenter. And I think what green room does so well is it, it feels like a John Carpenter movie. You know, what Jeremy Sonnier loves John Carpenter but it like wholly feels exactly like its own thing. It doesn't, yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not trying to be anything other than like exactly his vision. It's not, yeah. you know, you, you can tell that he, he likes, you know, assault on precinct 13, but it doesn't feel like he's beholden to it in a way that a lot of, right. There's been a lot of siege yeah. movies come out recently that feel like, so, you know, they just feel so like almost derivative of, of, yeah. John Carpenter stuff yeah. and you know I mean, like I wrote a siege movie and I ended up canning it because it just was like oh man you know they, they did this better in the 70s but 
yeah. yeah, they just but like it's so effortlessly cool and tense, and it's a great setup, and it feels very natural. A lot, of, a lot of times, I find myself with like sort of high concept movies. It sort of feels like I don't know if I believe this. You know, it sort of strains believability, and then Green Room just feels like you know it's so like on point situationally that like yeah. I don't know if that's a word, but. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we make shit up on this all the time. It just does. It just it just feels so organic, and it just the characters yeah. are, are cool, and the violence is so brutal. It just it I I honestly don't. It's the only time that I honestly believe, and I it, I think it's purely because they weren't big enough at that point. But I feel like the release was sort of bungled by A twenty four. If they had made this go, you know, three thousand theaters wide, and like really put like a strong like marketing behind it i i mean i could have seen this movie blowing up and being like you yeah. know like just a huge thing right i mean i think that to your point i think the thing that i really love about this is i think it's very because i've i've always i'm a big fan of movies about bands like i wish that there were better movies about bands because i feel like a lot of the times those worlds are not explored a lot and that world never feels lived in in other movies this is the first one i've ever watched where from the jump like the first shot of the movie even though it's like kind of it seems kind of ridiculous but i like i, I was in bands in high school and i know a lot of like I've been to those shows and I've not those shows, but I've been to like <laughs> shitty scummy bars where you're like, man, the floor is rotting out of like, I, I know like in the punk band that's going on, none of them have like showered in days because they've been on the road and they've been doing exactly what these guys doing. But like from the first frame, everything feels lived in and everything feels real. And there's nothing about these characters that doesn't feel inauthentic and i think that is like the real strength of this movie and that's why even though they're doing terrible things like siphoning gas and so on and so forth and like you know poor the poor little uh the poor little radio guy that they literally like put up against the wall for giving him six bucks a piece for doing a show you know what's so funny about the little the radio the fashion punk as they call him yeah uh amy was like because i was watching it with my wife and she's like you know he sent them there on purpose and i was like what and she's like, he was mad about the slide at the Mexican restaurant. So he <laughs> sent them to get me Nazi. I was like, I think you missed like a middle part there, but so I like where your know. head's at. <laughs> so I was like, that changes the whole dynamic. But you know what's cool? Even that guy who's a poser, right? According to them, you fully feel his life. Oh, yeah. It is really one of the hardest because I think back to your point, Josh, about there are these touchstone classic movies, kind of like underground genre flicks that a lot of us grew up with that now through streaming or finding new life, and people are like, oh, these movies are kick-ass. I'm just finding them, and that's awesome. But what happens is there's an entire new genre of really cheap, rushed-out horror films that are, like you said, they're just, what if we did uh, The Thing in Phoenix? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like That's how it feels like a lot yeah. of these movies are just getting made. And it fucking sucks because you wanna you wanna keep experiencing the thing, but they just that's like a once in a lifetime experience, right? They have to keep coming up with new things, and the fact that this movie it it feels like really truly achieves that. Like I really think this will be one of those kind of movies in like ten years. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And I I think that just sort of comes to like it comes down to like authenticity. Like, I, I feel like Jeremy Saunier, 
one, I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly plug somebody because I just I have to. Uh, one of my good friends is a guy named Ryan Warren Smith, and he is the production designer on this movie. And he's oh, nice. he's, yeah. he's he's like one of the nicest people I've ever met. Uh, Ryan Warren Smith. He's on Twitter and everything, and find him. He's um, he's a wonderful dude. He is so talented, and like you know, they built that world, and so the world mm. feels it. One, it feels authentic, and, and two, it it feels deliberate uh that you know it's like a very deliberate yes. setting it feels like that it like everything's there and I, I think a lot of i think a lot of movies that are made for the cheap don't understand how to use space yeah, yeah. and and when you can sort of build sets and like you know green room is not by any means an expensive movie at all i think it's like a five million dollar movie like that's not you know that's yeah i mean you know happy death it's a, day it's a drop in the bucket comparatively that's catering on beverly hills chihuahua yeah <laughs> yeah it, it's just like i feel like so many movies don't know how to use space and they they sort of don't know how to make their locations look right you know they're like in the in a bad filmmaker's hands i think this same script you could take the exact same script and i think you'd have such a lesser movie they just oh, they yeah. just yeah it, it 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 strikes this perfect balance between being you know like on one hand you know it it played it can it it's artistic but on the other hand it's just like thrill ride and it yeah. it's a balance that's so hard and like a lot of times i think that you know filmmakers are just in it for like oh man we get to spray blood everywhere or like you know, I, I, it just doesn't ever, they don't ever feel authentic. Like the violence in this, the, the characters, the, the lingo, the, every, everything just feels very real. Like these, the people that made the movie yeah. lived that they knew how to portray yeah. it and they didn't, you know, not every character has mohawks, you know, like a lot of the, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, they weren't all just doing Ed Norton or Ed Norton. Yeah. Impressions. That, I mean, I think that's a huge that that between like that kind of thing. And I would say, honestly, this is a weird thing because you bring up the production designer. The sticker placement is one of those things like I always note those kinds of things. But like, I know it's weird, <laughs> but like bands don't put stickers on everything. They put stickers on like the back of their van, maybe. But like I've seen in other movies where people are like, oh, yeah, like. Like kids' rooms covered in stickers. I'm like, nobody does that. I, I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, but you're right though. Like, using your space wisely and like really making your location feel authentic is a very important aspect, particularly for this movie, because it has to feel like a venue, but then also has to be this weird little pressure cooker, like almost haunted house in a way. It's very it's like right. it walks well, the we, line. Man. We talked about this with Splice, yeah. Alex, right? This is the this to me reminds me of Splice, where Splice is this super fun, wild, high concept story, right? And somehow you get Sarah Polly and Adrian Brody, and you can make that movie elevate. Right? Whereas in other hands, like right, if Splice was like a trauma flick, you can imagine exactly right. what that is and what it looks like. And it's way less and this movie is the same thing. You don't have like five, six foot ten meathead nazis kicking everyone's ass and you know yeah. terminatoring and that's when you have these really you absolutely believe that they just shot at an actual nazi oh, yeah. compound right and then you just get this unbelievable fucking cast that i still can't comprehend how it's they amazing. got this cast like how the fuck they got Ruin. patrick stewart is just one of the great casting coups, right? <laughs> and then, so true 
Yeah, I mean, that's true, right? You just, like, blow someone. Well, he doesn't have hair to yeah. blow away, but you know what I mean. So you're just sitting there, and you are you have these unbelievable worlds. But that is that is the, the trick, though, right, is all the characters are so – but, like, the one of the characters I really like is the kind of uh, meek and sensitive skinhead. That's a weird character to put in this movie, right? Because this is the Nazis are trying to kick this band's ass, but you really stop and Wait, you're talking about making Blair's movie, right? No, no. Yeah. Wait, really? Yes, is that who? Sorry. I, no, no, no. Are, who's, you, are you talking about Mark Webber's character? Gabe, Gabe. No, Macon yeah, Blair, that, yes. that's oh, Macon Blair. Blair. Sorry, yeah. I'm, I'm a horrendous with character names. Yeah. <laughs> As everyone who listens knows, I'm really bad with character names. But that character existing in this movie is exactly why I think it's so much better than movies of this ilk, right? Yeah. Because why is his right-hand man not Worm, right? A lesser writer and filmmaker, that would be go, Patrick Stewart saying, go, you know, it's like the X-Men. Magneto being like, go, Sabretooth, giant muscle guy. Yeah. Go, fucking keep killing. But when his henchman is Gabe, who just, you know, is having an emotional turmoil over it. Well, that guy was my friend. And I secretly was kind of hoping him and the girl got out and had a good life. You know, and he gets his red. He has all these really nice emotional touchstone moments that in a weird. I don't know that you can say he humanizes the Nazis to the point of being sympathetic, but it reminded me of Edward Furlong in American History X. You have to have that character that reminds you people don't come out of the womb saluting and high, you know, high booting. Yeah. Right. Like this is an evolution of people who have these problems. And I think that is. That's to me the separation of the movie oh, what, from others like it. No, I mean 100%. And I I think like honestly what separates horror movies from you know like like successful horror movies from the you know the rest of their the sludge pit is empathy. Like I at, at their green room is so interesting, you know? I mean I like I just I just showed my girlfriend this and her uh, her little brother who is 15. He's 15, awesome. yeah. And I, I literally, no, I was like, I was like, you need to watch this movie because I could just see it being. If I was fifteen, I saw it, it'd be my favorite movie. Oh hell yeah, dude! Uh, but no, no, he likes he he liked it, but he didn't like it as much as Martyrs. So you know, <laughs> that's what he said. Yeah, this would have been a great. See, yeah, he got way better taste than we did yeah. when we were kids. We were just like, what's the most fucked up thing? We can try to steal a little bit of liquor from our parents. It just get like really grossed out as a group, right? We, like society is the movie we wanted to find every weekend when we were. Kids. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back to this when I after I made my point. But like I think Green Room does such a good job of like yet yeah, one. I think I respect the shit out of Jeremy Sonier and just like for finding like make Macon is the star of Blue Ruin and he's just like absolutely mesmerizing in that movie. And again, I, I feel mm. like a lesser director with like less loyalty would just, you know, like fill the cast with just nonstop names to forget the people that, you know, really brought it. And, and it's so interesting watching Macon who like, you know, hadn't been in a lot of movies and he's up there. He has one of the biggest roles in the movie, you know, and, and he's up there like swinging with like Patrick Stewart and Anthony Elchin and all these people. And at, there are times where I think he's giving better performances than some of them. And I, and I just think that is so com- it's not, you know, it's, it's commendable and it's, it's smart and not, not just necessarily like loading your, your film with like superstars. But like, for me, it's, there's, there's a couple things that really make the movie empathetic. One is, is Gabe and how he just the whole time you can just feel this like inner conflict within him as he, you know, as he like 
basically comes to terms with the fact that what they're doing is absolutely fucked. And, you know, as, as much as, you know, you want to be, you know, one of these, like, like boots and braces, Nazis, you know, like what are the real world ramifications of that? Like you're killing a bunch of, a bunch of young adults because they just yeah. like came and, you know, played a set and saw the wrong thing. It's fucked up. Right. There's that. <laughs> yeah, and then at sure, the man. end when the, um, the, the dog fighter dies and they're at the very end and the, and the pit bull comes Dude. and it just lays down on his lap. And it, it is unfucking so real, man. It's such a quiet moment so good. in a movie that just, like, one, it, like, drives home this sort of mission statement and makes it about, like, how, how violence, you know, like, violence doesn't benefit anybody. Like, in that dog's eyes, his owner, who's this sort of dastardly, like, neo-Nazi, that, like, you know, that was the dog's owner, and the, the dog loved him. Yeah. And, and, like, the violence does nothing for any of these people. It's just yeah. violence. Right. I mean... I, I, yeah. Well, he... Yeah, I mean, he goes yeah. back to the guy who injects him with the thing that will kill him. That scene crushed me because I had a pit bull, like a rescue pit bull, who just died like a year ago. And it's one of those weird things. When I had it, everyone's like, you can't bring a fucking street pit bull into your house. She'll murder you. She never did. And then we had kids, and they're like, you can't have pit bulls around kids. And she never, right, these preconceived ideas. And that scene is so funny because, like, that is a throat-ripping murder dog (laughs) who in his last moment, he just goes. And that's the thing. The fucking dastardly neo-Nazi is the guy who probably abused him, and they use bait dogs in those circles. Like, that whole world is fucking cruel, right? So it also drives home this thought of a lot of the Nazis we saw kill, right, the body count. A lot of those people were probably just like that dog, man. They just found themselves in a situation of abuse and that becomes these vicious cycles and you look for a group to make you feel bigger and better. Yeah. Yep. That I actually wrote, that was my favorite scene in the movie too. The dog is like, cause that's the funny thing is Yelich uh, and them are sitting there with the guns. Yeah. And they're just like, click, 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 click. Like they're just going to shoot this fucking dog. And he just walks right past. It's so good. It, but oh, just so exhausted of like having to fight and do all of this. And I, I just, I, there's so many decisions that are made in that movie that are just like if you know if you're gonna make like the best decision possible like that's that i mean it's it's like one like ending on a on a credence song like you know because it's one thing that i learned like i i love i love my movie and i i'm very proud of my movie if i could go back in the editing room i would probably change the the final song just to be a little bit less of a downer like it's very kind of melancholic and the audience watching with an audience really kind of hit home they're like oh man you know people like stuff like that but they no one wants to leave a theater just being like oh wow like you know what i mean and so only me i'm the only guy that's stoked for those movies (laughs) i mean it's they're fine but like green room is like a dark kind of downer of a movie but like ending it on the credence song you know you leave like being like oh okay cool like wow that was a a good movie it's just there's so many little things uh, that just it just shows like an expert director and you know i mean he's only made a couple movies but like yeah. i i consider him to be an ex- expert director you know i read that actually that um credence was one of the bands that uh, anton yelchin's character is supposed to list as one of his favorite bands in the interview that was gonna be his island song right yeah, yeah. that was gonna be his island band <laughs> I love that Which motif. I didn't know and makes that ending actually so much better now that I think about it. Yeah. It was already good and it's so much more entertaining now. 
Well, also, it, that ending is great, too, because not only do they give us the CCR song, but he's starting to go into, like, because Yelich at the end kind of, or, yeah, he turns into this, like, uh, you know, I got to get in, like, these speeches, right? He has that amazing paintball speech. Yeah. Which you're like, and they don't do it in a corny way, which I like. He's kind of this, like, losing blood. He's been hacked up with machetes. So he's a little, you know, you know, he's trying to grasp for anything to maintain. They do it in a really cool way, even though it's kind of a trope, right? And when she comes back and he's like, I thought in my island song, you're like, dude, this guy's like monologuing now. He's like a full action hero. And she just goes, tell someone who gives a fuck. <laughs> it just it's cuts the to black. It's just taking the piss out of all of this like hero building we've done. It, <laughs> and it's so good. <laughs> I, I, Yeah, it just it's just so intelligently developed and, and just sort of like the fact that we get a movie about neo-nazis versus a punk band in the green room of a, like a backwoods venue and it is like just you know it's like music you know it's like conducted with like such grace it it, yeah. it just like there is an alternate reality where this movie is a big piece of shit like it <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen this movie as the piece of shit version. There's a an lot. alternate reality where this is like a Jonas Brothers vehicle. Like that, that absolutely <laughs> is a real thing. Because if this movie, if this movie teaches us anything, it's that a actors who can play instruments should only be the actors allowed in movies that can about bands, particularly punk bands. But like these actors are so well cast because like, you have Anton Yelchin and Alicia Shawkat who are very recognizable people for really like obviously Anton Yelchin was in Star Trek, but like he is best known for a lot of like more a lot more indie fare. Alicia Shawkat as well. And then you have uh, uh Joe Cole and I think I can't remember the other Callum, I can't remember the other guy. Uh, the guy who plays Tiger. Is it Callum Worthy? Yeah. Callum Turner. Callum Turner. Callum Turner. Callum Turner. Callum Turner. And I didn't remember that. I just looked it up. So audience don't I know <laughs> those guys are like, it's, it's amazing. Cause they're, they're so good, but I can almost, I can name maybe one movie I've seen each of them in simply because like, but they look and feel so lived in, yeah. in that environment. Like that's, that's the key to casting in this movie in general is just these people who feel so authentic, even Patrick Stewart, like who blends dude, even though he's yeah. Patrick Stewart feels terrifying. Unbelievable. Real. Right. Well, I love the world building, too, because they just do such a like something that happens like, you know, we all write scripts and shit. And, you know, that's one of the new like horror movie jokes is you always have to figure out how to take away cell phone communication and all that. Yeah. And this movie just does this really good job of setting very reasonable reasons why all this is happening. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really like I'll tell you the scene that I probably the moment in the movie that I was like, oh, man, this is next level shit that really got me right. And it struck me this time. I don't even know if I realized it the first time I watched it. But it's when they play the, the Nazi punks fuck off, right? So they're playing that moment. And we've seen them play, and they're garbage music, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what I mean. There are people that like punk rock. I liked it when I was a teenager, they but are, I liked the Ramones. They are very good Miss punk rock. They're a very good punk rock band. Are they? Okay, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm not a like part punk of that rock, world. Yeah. But what I love, and this is one of those brilliant moments, because they have that cool thing where it's like, we're not on social media, right? So they explain away something you have to explain away. And they, they're just doing this world building. And I love when the interview, because they say it, and it kind of sounds like hipster bullshit, right? Where it's, oh, you're losing the texture of music, right? If you go all virtual, you have to play it with them. So we see them play this performance. 
uh, and the you know Nazis are spitting at him and throwing shit, and they're like, play the next one. And so these two adversaries, right, come together in this moment, and we stop, and we cut to this kind of classical, you yeah. know, slow music, and we just watch this, like, hypnotic dance of these two enemy groups becoming one over music. And that's what's really cool about music and movies to me, and I, that's, I, I'm with you, like, more movies about bands is cool. Because I was telling this to someone else, I'm like, dude, music yeah. should scare the fuck out of people. I'm like, it's not natural that we're all in a bar and we hear Bohemian Rhapsody and we all start singing and headbanging in unison. That's mind control, <laughs> motherfuckers. Like, that's scary. And that's what this movie says is here are these two groups that are about to kill each other. But in the moment, they find that one thing and it becomes this harmonious organism that they just completely rip apart in the next five minutes. Yeah. But I, that that's a really cool choice to instead of keep doing the punk song. To then cut to some other song that isn't unique to that situation. It it is it, it again. It's like in there's a world in which this movie is not what it is, but it, but it is. It's 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 directed in a way where like they put the emotional moments of of the the story ahead of like you know they could have popped in you know like a bad brain song or something there and like been like this is a great song it makes the scene really cool but they don't like. They're, they're paying, you know, they're <laughs> yeah. paying. And, like, I love the I love punk music, and I, I like listening to it, and I love, you know, when music starts playing. I love I love needle drops. when they're, But, like, it's so much more satisfying to just be in that moment. And, like you said, you're focused on the fact that, like, their music is bringing these fucking skinheads and, and these, like, you know, just the complete opposite of that together. And it's I think it's just it's just so intelligent. And, and, and it's – and I, I don't – it's crazy. There's every few years you find something that's like really it's like a big movie or like, you know, it gets gets some buzz like this that has just influenced like I I I just I just I in the last like four or five years I mean this movie's almost five years old or since it premiered it's more than five years old since it premiered. And like I just don't see the lessons that were made in this movie in absolutely anything. Like nobody you know, I've seen I you know, yeah. there's a there's one and like I'm not gonna name it, but there's a movie that is like basically the same, you know, the same plot as Green. It's like a very small indie film, and they just you know they were just like, oh yeah, we'll make a movie about punks versus Nazis, you know, and like there's people swearing and like cutting each other up, and it's like that's not why this movie was good. This movie was good because it was like it was treat. It, it's right. like it's a B movie premise that's treated yeah. with like an A like a prestige movie you know like craftsmanship right well i mean i think that's the yeah. that's what like that's the point of a great b movie premise it's how we got film noir it's how we got great sci-fi in the 70s in general is because if you take a b movie premise and you elevate it and you treat it with respect and you treat it with the respect that you have because you love the material that's the kind of movie you're going to get that's how you get stuff like detour that's how you get stuff like the long goodbye and that's definitely how you wind up with stuff like green room yeah the only i'm a yeah and that's that's the thing though that that moment of like switching to classical i don't think other people making this movie make that choice no, right and all, all that is is one minute to just swell with empathy and understanding yeah. like these characters you know the nazis whatever for one moment they're just people to us and that means yeah. that in five minutes, we're going to feel bad 
for all these motherfuckers, right? That is, totally. that's the kind of decision making that fascinates me in movies. When you just go against the obvious thing yeah. that everyone thinks you should fucking do. I guarantee someone did notes for that script and was like, what song are we playing? <laughs> like, you know, I used to do a, a, be a screenplay analyst and like, that would be something. What's the soundtrack for this? Yeah. Like, you know, people are really into those moments and it's just, it's really cool that it, cause it's really rare, right? Most movies I feel like, and audiences are so fucking hip nowadays because everyone watches so much shit. Like my mom has probably seen 10,000 movies or whatever, you know? Yeah. So she's like, I don't know anything about movies. I'm like, that's fucking bullshit. You think you don't. You don't know phrases and names. But, like, you know when it's working and when it's not. She just does. She's seen enough. And for movies to truly surprise me is really rare. And I feel like this is one of the best movies that pulls off the zag when I think a zig is coming. Like, yeah. they just throw in a heroin lab underneath the, the room, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. here we go. Heroin fight, explosions, nothing. It's yeah. literally just a, a room to build the yeah. world, but it doesn't be start overtaking the story. No. Yeah. The, if I mean, if, I, I guess if I had any sort of, and like I don't have any complaints with the movie, I, but if I had one sort of small, like, eh, I think the story for like a brief moment gets like a little needlessly complicated. The like, <laughs> the, I, I, I can't think of what his name is. Mark, Mark, Mark Weber's character uh, there's like this subplot where like he's trying to get him, which is very simple. It's very, it's very simple, <laughs> and it's it's done in a, in a in an effective way. But like, I don't know if I needed that. No. <laughs> well, also, I there is that moment where you go, I don't think Patrick Stewart knows as much about crime scenes as he thinks he does. Yeah, there, he's just gonna be like, they were siphoning my tank, and these dogs happened to murder them. And they're like, weird. There's no blood anywhere. Like, where's all the fucking blood? <laughs> well, the is, but the thing is, Yelchin makes a remiss is wrong. Like, you know, so I mean. Yeah. Right. Also. <laughs> so that's what, but what you're saying, right? It's like they're really complicated. But it's always Patrick Stewart who's doing the, we got to go kill the band that we didn't spend any time with. Yeah. And don't care about, right? But that's because Patrick Stewart's right. doing that, right? He's this overly controlling Nazi guy. And in a weird way, it helps kind of flesh out this world he's doing. But yeah, you're like I can totally see that he's just a guy who thinks this is gonna work. Yeah, I will. The uh, the quickly, I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin it for all of your listeners. The uh, the mosh pit scene. <laughs> I don't know if and and I I knew it the second uh, the second I watched it because I I spent a lot of high school watching this fucking kids videos. Uh, do you remember that South Park episode where they rip on this like ginger kid? The gingers have souls, kid. Yeah. Okay, yes. that kid. That yes. kid, all right, one second. That kid has it's basically no. just this ginger redneck kid, like I don't know, like pissing himself and just being and like you can't tell if it's a bit or not, but it's just like this like redneck kid and his grandma, like you yeah. know, and yeah, yeah, it's it's really fucking. They had a TV show deal at one point. Okay, yeah, so you know who this is. <laughs> yeah, he, he is an extra. In no. the, yeah, in the band scene. Did you what? know that Copper Cab Holy is one shit. of the extras? <laughs> and, and Jeremy, who's like, again, he's just like the sweetest guy, just looks at me and he just says, I don't know who that is. <laughs> he's in there. Go watch that scene. 
everyone who's listening, go watch that scene. And he's just there, and he's just moshing along. <laughs> you just fucked me up so bad, say. I can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It just pulled me right out. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, my God. That just blew my mind. <laughs> I used to love that guy's shit because after that South Park, he he was like, he went from being mad to like, oh, this is a thing. And he ran. They were kind of the Honey Boo Boo family before the Honey Boo Boos. It was just great YouTube content. Yeah. And and so like I I would just watch these ironically all the time as like when I first started college and then just like immediately I saw him and was just like copper cab. Like, why? <laughs> so some, oh so my a bit God. of the humanity in that scene was lost on me. Uh, yeah, I had some. We have a kid who follows the show. He's probably getting sick of us making fun of him. But like every day, he's like sending shit on Twitter, or he's just like he must have gotten that book, like the hundred movies you have to watch in film school. Because like I'll put something like I'm watching this movie, and he's like, actually, have you seen this really old, like the first Korean like political drama? I'm like, dude, it's okay. Like, you have cred. You're already in film school. You don't have to, like, impress us every day. <laughs> I, uh, no, but but that's like a rite of passage for film schoolers. Oh, I uh, was bad about it back in the day. Like, God, I used to have I, really bad moments. I fucking, I fucking hate film schoolers. I dropped out of film school, so I can say that. <laughs> I fucking hate them. You know, and like, and, and the cool part is most good film schoolers grow out of this thing where you feel like you're better than everything else. Yeah. I was at Panavision a couple months ago. And I, you know, I just like went in to like look at some look at some thirty five millimeter, and I, I was going. I went in the sh- in the shop, and you know, I was like gonna buy a Panavision shirt because like fucking Panavision is awesome. Yeah, it's Panavision. You do it. Yeah. Company. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like gonna buy. I'm like looking at this shirt, and two fucking film schoolers come in, and they're looking at stuff, and this kid goes, "That's a cool hoodie," and his buddy goes, "You can't wear that. You'll make you. It means you're trying too hard." <laughs> You little fuckers. <laughs> and at, at that point, I just, I just it took everything in me to just like not turn around and like assault some minors. Just like, no, no. Like, you should have though. They need to learn on these they streets, just dude. Got it. Yeah, you gotta learn. Listen here, buddy. I, uh, I made a movie and it was released, and I'll still get on fucking Twitter and argue that the 2006 remake of The Omen is better than the original Omen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you dude, it's the best I, thing I, though is going back and finding your old IMDb ratings from when like you're in college, and it's uh, like the Seventh Seal, Perfect Ten, and everything else that like made any money at the theaters. I'm like four, maybe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like, I was watching Hellboy with my kids, right? It's great. He's five, so probably it's not so great. Good. But I just remember, like... The new, wait, like, the new one or the old one? No, I love the new one, too. But yeah, me, me we, too. Okay. we tried to watch the new one, but I'm like, this is way too hardcore for my five-year-old. Because he wanted to see, like, the Giants scene. Because I told him about the Giants. And I'm just like, oh, dude, he's, like, ripping eyeballs out and fucking guts everywhere. So I was like, let's do the old ones. And I remember just, like, ripping those apart when I was in film school. And I watched my kids, I'm like, these are fucking great. Like, yeah. I love it. Because, yeah, you grow out of that, like, because that's the yeah. weird thing about some film students is you have to hate what is popular. It's like the thing you used to do with music, like, oh, my band's popular now. Fuck those guys. <laughs> well, you, like, yeah. It's one of those things you have to barrel down. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, okay. I'm well, sorry. I had some asshole, like, on my on – my... <laughs> On my uh, letterbox, I had I had some kid. I don't know if it was a kid. It could be like a seventy year old. Who knows? But like 
He was got like old boy is in my favorite. My fa it was like old boy and like Mulholland Drive are like in my favorites. And some someone was just calling me a pleb, and I don't even know what that means. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, for like old boy and Mulholland Drive, good lord! It's like it's like oh, this is so fucking basic, and like it's like what are you talking about? These are you know what classic movies are like so beloved because they're fucking great. You watch old boy, yeah, that's yeah. better. I'll never, I'll never make anything as good as Old Boy. Like I'm just, I've just come to terms with that. Like it's yeah, like not <laughs> just you. Like most everyone most people, will never. Pretty much everybody. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy. No, I saw a kid the other day. I can't remember what the fuck he did, but he. Oh, that's what it was. He rated Jurassic Park a one and a half. This same oh. kid who was like a film school kid, and he's like, oh, I just don't have the nostalgia like blurring my eyes. And I was like, man, fuck off. I'm like, can you really like not watch Jurassic Park? Because I watch movies all the time. I was telling you, it's like a big Shudder movie right now, One Cut of the Dead. And that's just like, you don't always have to go on Twitter and tell people that you fucking hate movies that they like. Because it's like, I didn't love it, but I get why people would like it, and it was a successful small movie. Like, you want to see that happen. But it's I like, have, you don't always have to, like, come from the top ropes. <laughs> I have, like, a very strict, like, I do not talk bad about movies on on Twitter. I think it's super unnecessary and, like... The thing is, I've never met a film like making a film is the hardest fucking thing in the entire world, and and I've yeah. never met a filmmaker that is just like, ugh, I'm gonna make this bad and I'm gonna phone it in. Not one time in my entire, I've seen some bad movies, and never <laughs> have I met a filmmaker whose intention was to make something bad or less than the best thing ever. Right. right. I think it's so. It's just it's just so superior to like rip into people. It's like, okay, look, here's the thing: you don't like that, like what you know at t one time is always kind to most things you know i i just was looking uh my girlfriend was watching van helsing and i like sat down no no no, no. like <laughs> the fucking I, rope movie. I like sat down and watched that movie and i was so entertained for two and a half hours it's so much fun and i look on rotten tomatoes and it has like a like an 18 percent yeah. Oh yeah, it is not love. Well, it's like, what the fuck do you people want from like a Steven Sommers like Van Helsing movie? Like, like <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It's interesting you're bringing this up because this is something we talked about about um, Splice and then Man's Best Friend as well this month, which is like, yeah, what are people? Man's Best Friend on Letterbox barely has two like, stars. And, and when you walk into crime. a movie like called Man's Best Friend, but and then Splice too, but in general, when you watch a movie like your expectation should be for that movie to be that movie. If I walk in, if I sit down and watch The Godfather, <laughs> my expectation is going to be about The Godfather and the mafia. But I'm what I'm <laughs> what I'm not going to expect yeah. is for it to be about, you know, Peter Pan. That's not the movie I'm expecting to watch. You can judge Solaris a little more harshly <laughs> than Man's Best Friend. Yeah. There needs to be a sliding scale. But, yeah, it's a sliding scale. <laughs> yeah, it's a sliding scale. At the same time, though, I mean, you can take away my fucking film lover card or whatever, <laughs> but I would, I would much rather put on Steven Sommers' Van Helsing than Solaris. I would just much rather put that movie on and watch it. Most people would, let's be honest. Well, it's like last year I was, like, doing – because I have Criterion Channel, and it's like the – I that's the one I always make the list of, like, oh, I'm going to watch that and that and that. And then you're like – uh, or Leprechaun in the Hood again. <laughs> like, because you're like, it's 11 at night and I don't want, like, I'm going to fall asleep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't want to sit and, like, you know what, like, there's a time to appreciate and to learn. 
Yes. But like sometimes I just want to watch Dave, David Harbour as Hellboy, like fucking capitating mutants to muse. Like I just, just, just <laughs> but that's just the way it is. You have to decompress. Like I, I actually remember like I took a, like we had a class in college uh, called film classics. And I was like, cool. We're just going to watch like citizen Kane and all these. And we watched like a lot of like great movies. One of which being persona, and I remember going like, fuck, Persona is awesome. And I got out of college and I was like, hmm, I'd like to see Persona again. And I like found it on, found it streaming somewhere. Like, oh, cool, Persona. And I started watching it and I literally got like five minutes in past like the intro with like the speed up of the camera. I'm like, I, don't, I can't, I can't do this. Like I, my brain's not there right now. It's not the right time of night. Like this is a bad idea for me. And I did this. Like, I, tur- I think I might've turned on like The Mummy, which is another Steven Somers joint, you know? But like, yeah. But it's fun. It's just fun. I, I enjoy it. Well, dude, that's what happens when you have kids too. Is you start like you run out of it. You're like, I can't watch any more Disney Plus, or I'll fucking start killing someone. And then you're like, Are they ready for Big Trouble, Little China? Let's try it, right? And like, there are so many movies that when you watch them with your kids, you're like, Oh, I get why this is awesome. Yeah. Because like they don't watch it with the cynical lens, right? Right. <laughs> there was something floating around Facebook where it was like it was like eight groups. And it was like names of filmmakers, and it's like pick which group of filmmakers you you know you would want to be with. Which oh, house yeah. you want to be in? Yeah. Yeah, I got. <laughs> which house you want to be in quarantine? Yeah, because it's like Ingmar Bergman and Ari Aster, and and you know, and which like one, I mean, Ari Aster is great, and like I think he's made really good movies. I, I I am not prepared to call people classic filmmakers by two fucking movies, but right. there was this big glaring exception on there. Steven fucking Spielberg wasn't on there and I just wanted to like find through the internet whoever made that and just beat the shit out of them because it's like what are you talking about like why the fuck is Robert Eggers and Ari Aster and fucking Nicholas Winding Refn on this list and people like Spielberg are not it I do you think do you think it's Spielberg's because the fucking landlord dude do you think it's because yeah for real do you think it's because he owns those houses like Eggers and Nicholas Winding Refn, like those guys are making such stylized movies that if you lived in a house with Steven Spielberg, the conceit would be that maybe it's just, I don't know, Spielbergian, which is fine with me. But do you think the idea, and maybe the problem is for everyone is like, they don't want to live in a house with Steven Spielberg because it would be too easy. They want to live in a house with Robert Eggers and like (laughs) deal with like farts and lobster. I, I don't know. I honestly just think that like Spielberg makes like fun movies and somehow people have like yeah. decided that he's sort of beneath them. And it's like, yeah. look, yeah, I-, I would watch every single, I would binge every single Spielberg movie, you know, over the course of weeks, I'd watch them continuous besides maybe like, I don't know, the BFG. If, if, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's like, you're yeah, going to also add War Horse for me, actually. I truly <laughs> believe that that, like, what you're talking about, I truly believe is, like, the after effect of film school. Like, people who go to film school fall out of love so quickly with, like, Steven Spielberg because it's almost like you spend your time watching movies, like, you know, you spend your time watching, like, I don't know, Federico Fellini, and you've decided, like, oh, well, you know, Italian neo neorealism is the only real genre <laughs> movie that you, like, step away from yourself almost like i i don't think i think it's impossible to 
get out of film school and like not look back and feel like such a, like I went to film school. I went to film school and ended up like I went to save the same school Griffey did and then I moved and had to go to a school where I had to learn how to like actually shoot on film. And I was like, I don't want to do this at all. I would much rather just make things on digital and not deal with the telecine of it all and all this other bullshit. But there is that breed of film students like, uh, I'm only shooting this on Super 16 because I know those guys and I told them to fuck off. Because And they were the same people who were like, yeah, I just don't really get Jurassic Park. I don't understand why everyone thinks it's such a classic. It's like, I'm, I can't have this conversation. It, yeah. Those conversations well, cease that's to the exist problem is that now it's becoming easier to make movies. Well, not making a movie is not an easy endeavor, right? But it, it's more available to more people. So now more people are having opportunities and there's a lot of content, right? So everyone feels this insane need to instead of just make the best version of whatever they do, they have to find this way to differentiate themselves, right? So sh punching up at Spielberg, it's become this film hipster activity, right? That somehow he's less than because his movies have mass appeal. That has become a, a dirty quality, it feels like, which is strange. I... I attribute it sort of to like i think mass appeal movies have like gotten a bad rep uh, recently because like i mean they're kind of dumb like the mass appeal <laughs> movies of 10 of 10 and 15 and 20 years ago are not what they are today like i think that those big movies they need to make money and so they're not even trying to be as intelligent yeah. as you know and and i i think that it's it's hard because you know they and I, I think it's a side effect of having these like weird designer brands, A24 um, in in particular, which I love A24. I love their movies, but like I like we're you know we're just we're gushing about how Green Room is like this accessible thing. They're not making movies right now like Green Room. A24 is not making movies like their own movie. They're making the ultra artistic, and and I yeah. think that that is. <laughs> um, well, you know what? This happened with Miramax too, right? You break in because you provide yeah. this thing that we want, but then you become a victim of it because you have to keep yeah. finding the Miramax I mean, movie now. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, like with St. Maud or like Waves, those movies, and it, it's unfair to judge them on what they are. In the same way it's unfair to judge, you know, all this other stuff, but like, you know, and I watch Waves, or I watch a trailer for Waves, it's just like, oh yeah, like that's like an A24 movie. It's just like, it's like the prototype for it. Yeah. And like, you know, Waves, I, I actually just, you know, I didn't watch Waves in theaters because of that. You know, I was just like, oh, this just looks like every other A24 movie. And like, I have a fucking A24 tattoo on my knee. So it's like, I'm not, you know, I, yeah. I, I that green, I got it right at, I, yeah, a couple years ago, way before. I think you know, the film students OG. would have said that you were trying too hard. <laughs> Twenty-four tattoo because it was around the time Hereditary came out, and they had all these like nice little bird yeah. statues, and I figured that if I fucking tattooed it on me, that they'd send me one, but they didn't. They just liked. That's them. ridiculous. You're like, dude, I'm going above and beyond. Yeah, they, I don't. I just was like, are you going to give me, like, free shit because I've, like, scarred my body for life with <laughs> now your Now I will brand. always see A24. Like, oh, my God. That's insane. They didn't, they didn't, even, yeah, they didn't even retweet it. They just, like, liked it. And <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> like, is this retweet worthy? I don't know. <laughs> like, this kid's the love. fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's the minimum you can do for someone becoming a living billboard for you. 
It's a retweet. Send me <laughs> Share it on your Instagram story. Help out, dude. <laughs> but no, we were talking like but, you're starting you know, I... to see some of this though, because uh, we just watched The Lodge, and uh, we talked about that last week, I and I was like, you could feel the hereditariness of that, right? So like, there are these yeah. horror movies that are coming out, and that's why I wish Green Room had this effect too, where you're seeing some of them start to come out that are kind of shifting to where they're splitting off, like, oh, this is that kind of movie, this is that. And I, I mean, I think that's really cool myself. I'm down for more like these. You know why? I'm rocking a Parasite shirt right Hell now. Hell yeah. But you know why everyone loves that movie? Which one, Hereditary? Parasite. Oh, Parasite, yeah. Explain. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. You know, everyone loves that movie because it is intelligent, and it's also extremely entertaining and mainstream. Yeah. It it is it cuts just so perfectly down the middle of of being something that is smart, it's saying something, it's well acted, but like I could show that to, you know, someone that I, I work with and they would just like love I mean I, again, like I, I live in Wyoming and I'm a bartender. Or, yeah, and and so one day there's a carpenter, you know, he's just a old, I think he's like, you know, in his 60s. And I get off my shift and, I, and I'm having a drink with him. And he's like, hey, man, do you ever hear this movie Parasite? He's like, it's the best fucking movie I've seen, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, like, that's so cool for me to, awesome. to me that, like, someone in, like, the Midwest could watch. They're, they're one, yeah. they probably are exposed to Korean movies now, which right. is amazing. But, like, they could watch something that is, it, you know, I mean, it won the Palme d'Or. Like, it, won, it, it, it is, like, the highest you know, honor at the Cannes Film Festival, but it also like played in theaters everywhere and like won an Academy Award. Yeah, right. Like right. it's it, it's not pretentious at all. And and yeah, I just, I think you can tell intelligent stories that are nuanced without having them be, you know, that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. strange because before I left LA, right? Like the blacklist had infected every screenplay I was reading. So it's like everyone's yeah, yeah. writing scripts just to get on the blacklist, you know, to then try to, like, make the next move. And when you read a blacklist kind of script, you're like, yeah, that doesn't read like a movie script anymore. It's like this – it's become its own form of entertainment almost. And that happens yeah. a lot because that's – when I moved back to the Midwest, though, I think it's so easy to forget who the massive audience for movies are, right? Where, like, my neighbors will say they're watching stuff, and I'm like, Really? Like, the shit I'm like, oh, this is important. They don't, like, none of my neighbors have heard of The Lodge. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. They've all fucking seen yeah. Tiger King and whatever the fuck. The new David Spade movies, all anyone was talking about today, the Netflix one. And you just forget. Huh. You're like, oh, that's where people are. So when you find something like Parasite that can do both, it's just even more impressive to me. It, it, it definitely, you know, I mean, like, as a filmmaker, I, I think there is, it's sort of scary because, you know, there are, movies aren't made in the same way they used to. You need, you need festival reception. You need something, you know, you need festival reception. You need a huge budget to, you know, so it's like this war between having you're either making a movie for prestige or you're making a movie for, for a box office and, and you sort of see there's like filmmakers that are kind of caught between, you know, that are caught between, you know, they made a, I, I think Nick, Nick Pesk, Pesk, however you pronounce his name is, is one who like, he made eyes of my mother, which is like this crazy art house thing. Awesome and then play. he made the grudge. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I, I think he's super talented. And then he made the grudge and it's like, 
you know, I, I like I, I like I think the grudge is pretty interesting. And, you know, on the Blu-ray, you can sort of there's like 45 minutes of deleted <laughs> scenes. Really? And, and <laughs> wow. It, no. And like if you watch those deleted scenes, you, you go, oh, OK, I, I get what happened. It, it, it is when people were like, oh, I want a Nick Pesk grudge movie. Those deleted scenes are a Nick Pesk yeah. grudge movie. But the thing is, you can't, you're making the grudge. It has to make $40 million. Right. You know, when there's a scene where, like, the one of the women is just, like, drowning a child, and he's not going down quick, like, quick enough. So inside the tub, you just, like, watch as she just smacks his head against the base of the tub, oh. and just blood comes out, and you, you just watch blood from this kid's eyes. And it's dark. It's the darkest fucking thing I've seen. And I could understand why Sony's like, yo, we can't put this out the week after Christmas. <laughs> Come on, fam. Let's go see the bleeding-eyed child. <laughs> Do you know how frustrating that would be to be like a filmmaker who's like, you're, you're handed a movie like The Grudge, and you have a studio that's like, all right, we want to get behind your vision. But And it's not even these like tyrannical studio overlords. It's just the fact that you know the Conjuring movie has to make money. It has yeah. to do that. So there's like on one hand you're you're tempted with making a film, you know, like you know, you're it's like you're going to make a 20 million dollar movie. You're going to get paid and you're going to be able to have shoot for 70 days, which is a dream. But like, you know, they're picking these filmmakers up out of these like weird obscure indie movies and like that's why you hired. It's it's just a weird place. Yeah. Well, especially yeah. with horror, yeah. I hope for a day when we can sort of get back to the mid-budget movies and that, you know, there's just it, it just feels like the dif the difference between these sort of darker indies and like these mainstream studio flicks, the gap is just sort of widening, you know, or like. Yeah, I think mid budget. I think it's going to be very difficult. I mean, I think with the uh, current climate we're in, I feel like mid budget is going to evaporate almost. Yeah. Entirely, which is terrible, which is bad. And I don't want that to happen because that's exactly why. Mm. Again, I don't want super low budget and super super high tentpole to be the only movies because there's got to be some middle ground there because that's where you find great movies like a green room type movie and granted green room was made for like five million dollars which is i can't believe i'm saying this five million dollars is like a low budget movie which is like almost ultra low budget <laughs> but like it's crazy but like that's gone yeah like yeah. those like fincher movies like there's a there's a whole slew of directors that like <laughs> there's a slew of directors that get nominated for Oscars every year that I feel like aren't going to be allowed to make movies anymore simply because their movies don't cost enough or they cost too much. They make them for Netflix. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah. which is just a bummer. And like, I wish Netflix would like buy a theater chain or something and just put their movies in theaters there. Apparently AMC's for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon's already beating us to it. We were trying to get our pennies together, but we got outbid by Bezos. <laughs> The neon, the neon demon is like gonna be in wide release theaters. <laughs> but that's, I mean, yes. I feel like all of my favorite movies, like ninety percent of them, probably fall in that mid-range budget. Though that's yeah, that's totally. the crazy shit because there is just this big leap, right? Because that's like, you see a lot of these movies on Netflix, Hulu, whatnot, where it's you can just tell they're rushing them out, and you see a lot of passion and creativity in them. It's like, we got to get our shot. You know, this is our calling card movie, which makes it feel like a different movie, period. 
And then, yeah, like, The Grudge is a great example. I saw Eyes of My Mother, and I was like, holy fuck. I was like, that's the dream movie to try to make as, like, an indie filmmaker, right? And then you yeah, watch The yeah. Grudge, and I'm just like, where is any of that? You know, and that's to your point, is you're just like, why why take these guys and say we want to jump you from, like, down here all the way up here and not let you do what you're good at? Yeah. And the thing is, I don't, it's not like, and then the problem is all the blame is, well, the blame is either shifted on the tyrannical studio or the, like, the terrible young filmmaker. And it's just like, no, it's not. It, it's, it's, it's a horrible situation, and I don't, like, envy anyone that has to do that because it's like, look, man, if I made, I made Trapped for no money and it was a miserable experience because making movies for no money is a terrible experience. It just is. <laughs> even even during the yes. best experience, it's still miserable. Yeah. If you came to me and told me that you're like, oh, man, you want to make a Conjuring movie, I'd jump on it like that because it's just like there's a luxury, you know? It's like, oh, hey, you know, I'm not going to have to have my homie, like, climbing the side of this house to, like, rig some lights, you know? He might break his neck. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? For sure, man. Totally. But that's the weird it's thing, not right? There. Green Room exists in that that mid-range. Yeah. What's the last movie that was as good as Green Room in that range? You know what I mean? Hereditary. But, yeah, because that's I guess I don't know enough about budgets. Because, I, I mean, we've had Hereditary doing great and Midsommar. And then Jordan Peele's been doing great. And then Robert Eggers, but, like, you know, that's a great example. Like, The Lighthouse. You're like, that's just something that I can't watch with my mom. <laughs> right? But that movie made so much money. Like, it made a ton of... And, like, A24 is smart because, I mean, what they've done is they basically they turned their company into a meme, and they only make movies now that they can meme. Like, if they, <laughs> if they can't... That's interesting. No, I'm 100% sure. serious. I, I know mean, Midsommar is, like, the queen of memes, the May queen of memes. Yeah. Uncut Gems, that movie made more money than anything because they could just meme Adam Sandler. And, like, on one hand, you get this, like, really fucking great movie, but, like, they could market it by, like, being like, oh, look how, you know, look look at Sandler. He's not being stupid in this one, you know? <laughs> He's not like, wearing basketball shorts. Get yeah, to the theater. Yeah. <laughs> He's being beaten up, you know? like. It, but it, do you it, see any way that the streaming services could help this? Because I have to, I feel like Shudder's doing a pretty good job with some of their originals, right? And they seem like on the low side. But that's because of Joe Bob. Yeah, right. Like, what? What's the? Is there a path that you think streaming could? Because I don't know, man. I've I've had this fear watching this whole movie theater shit go down during the lockdown. I just don't see it going back. You know, like I don't think we're gonna have movies like we had them at theaters. I think a lot of these movies, because that's, I mean. We were talking about the turning when this thing started. Like, that's a perfect movie to just let me buy at my house for 15 bucks. And again, I'm yeah. not smart enough to know. I mean, God, I can't even imagine what that accounting looks like on all these fucking things. But I just feel like we're going to start losing those smaller movies anyways. And I don't know if, if that's like the place the streaming service can come in and fill the void. Let me let me tell you, as like as a bartender... Who, whose town is now opening up from COVID, I, I don't think it's going to change that. I, I think people talk about how it's going to change. I think the second they're like, okay, theaters are open, I think that half of the population is just going to go back to the theaters. Go. I just think that, like, honestly, we're just stupid. And <laughs> it's just like, oh. Well, I mean, I think, like, too, like, people... 
I think people are desperate to just forget about this. You know yeah. what I mean? It reminds me of Anton Yelich in the movie when he tells the paintball story. And he's just like, yeah. we can't, we can't outwar them. You know what I mean? Like, they know war. They play war. Like, we just got to fucking keep running and laughing and shooting until we're dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, dude, it's so, it's so disheartening to just, like, be, like, at home for months and, like, you know, everyone's like, okay, social distancing and, like, we'll start opening things back up. And then just, like, uh, my bar and restaurant is just, like, has, like, one of the busiest days it's had, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, people were just, like, waiting on, like, we're having, like, hour, two-hour long wait times and it's just, like, chaos. Like, I think people are just going to go back to it and, yeah. and it, they're going to, it's an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. I don't, I think people think a lot more is going to happen yeah. because of this than it is. Like, it just, the second they can go see fucking Black Widow in theaters, like, you know, it's gonna, that movie's gonna make $200 million opening weekend. Dude, and, I, I would be tempted to rush out to see Antlers. Because I'd be like, there's gonna I, be like 10 of us, it'll be fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I hope so, because I, I still like going to the movies. And I feel like they kind of fucked up the video on demand thing. You know, like, you gotta, because, like, I was gonna get Invisible Man, but you're like, $20 for a rental when I can just buy it in a month for $20. Yeah. You know, it's like, I feel like no one quite nailed the number, you know? But, like, I yesterday think... I bought Scoob for $25. <laughs> yeah. Did you buy it, though? Yeah, because it's $20 to rent or 25 to buy. And I'm like, oh, my kids are going to watch this movie 50 fucking times. So I'll just buy so that's Scoob. that's the same thing with Trolls. Yeah. But it's like, it's like, here's the thing. Right now, and, and I know everyone was chest puffing when Universal did their thing and <laughs> Trolls made a bunch of money. The thing is, though... Trolls is a, was like a highly anticipated kids movie yeah. and it came out with nothing else having come out for like a month and everyone is stuck at home with nothing yeah. to do. And they made a bunch of money because people were just like, fuck some relief. The second, if they do that, man, Bloodshot's not going to make its $80 million. Dude, <laughs> they dropped that, that shit like, on and it was down to $10 to buy in like three days. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're like hemorrhaging money. People go to the theater and they make those money because it's like, oh, it's date night. We're going to the theater. Yeah. Like, I just don't see, you know, Universal and AMC having this, like, I'm not going to play your movies. Yeah, so right. fuck you, AMC. Well, because Disney's and, like, like Universal... we might put some of our movies on demand. I'm like, you're going to take on Disney AMC? <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, I mean, no one knows this shit. I mean, look at fucking Disney Plus, man. Like, Disney Plus is, it, I mean, it's doing well, but, like, it's been almost, you know, it's been like half of a year, and the only thing that new that's on there is like it's a mess. The Mandalorian, <laughs> yeah, and we're already done with it. <laughs> yeah, but but it's been done for so long, and they have no plan. They're like, oh, you guys can have fucking Artemis Fowl. <laughs> yeah. I know. I got a little uh, torqued when I saw that announcement. For sure, I've been really, really <laughs> waiting for a reboot. No, I just read today. Speaking of the Grudge, they're gonna reboot that for Netflix now. And I was like, why yeah. is the Grudge the go-to remake property? The last awesome grudge thing I saw was when they had uh, the grudge versus the ring. Because that was just a wildly like, what? How did this happen? It was exciting and awesome. Hell yeah. <laughs> but no, what I was saying is if, if the theaters lost something, right? Like, I think there's a weird way to look at it. Like, if the theaters get a little bit of a smack, I think it's actually a good thing. Because, like, you mentioned Joe Bob earlier, right? Yeah. I think what that, what Shudder has shown us is that there is this fucking place in our society right where all we do is try to be a part of groups and you know find these ways to connect and shutter has really done a great job of making us feel like a community 
And I was like, what yeah. if my the like would I go to the theater more or less if they're just like, hey, we're gonna show um, Gremlins one and two tonight on Friday. Like I'd I'd go see that you know as often as I'd go see a new movie. Like I would love yeah. to see more of that kind of stuff from the movie theaters. I just don't feel like I need eight thousand superhero movies. I just want <laughs> I literally I I I just it's like I you go to the theater and for two minutes and especially today with cell phones and everything for fucking two hours you're just disconnected and you're you're a part of something with people and true it's just you know like i don't think that's ever gonna go away i think that i mean look man vinyl is doing better than it's ever done yeah right <laughs> it's like we we're just so quick like drive-in theaters man i i am so i'm so jealous and and resentful of of uh Brett and Drew Pierce, who made the the wretched, uh, because yeah. it, I, I saw I know those guys, and I saw that movie last year at Fright Fest, and like those guys have like the perfect situation. I, I get on like box office mojo, and it's like the wretched is the biggest movie in America for the second week. <laughs> yeah, it's the number one drive-in movie for two weeks in a row. <laughs> those guys, like that's the, that's gotta be the coolest thing ever, man. It's well, like, especially what? because oh, that's like, available on Amazon for seven dollars to rent, and they're still killing it but, at the drive-in. And it, the world was in such a hurry to get rid of the drive-in, and it was in the hurry to get rid of Blu-rays and DVDs, and it was in a hurry to get rid of theaters. <laughs> and like the second it goes away, people are like, "Oh yeah, that was great. Like, why did we do that?" <laughs> Like my flip phone. Like, That's what I still think about the flip phone. Damn it, loved it. Yeah, I buy I buy Blu-rays, and, and my girlfriend is always like, "Why are you buying this forty-five dollar collector's edition of of Idle Hands?" <laughs> because it's awesome. Yeah, and, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, you know, I won't buy the Blu-ray, and I'll fucking rent it on Apple TV for two dollars, and like I play it, and like the 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 streaming quality is like 480p and like halfway through the internet goes down and we have, we can't watch the movie anymore. Yeah. 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 This is my Ted talk. <laughs> I, cause that I, I'm, I think when you said it earlier, that's what really struck yeah. me is why is this not become a, there was a whole wave of green rooms after green room movie. And that, I think it's just these weird phases we find ourselves in with streaming and, you know, all these giant tentpole. Like, how does Fantasy Island still happen after Green Room? Like, people should be <laughs> doubling down on Green Room movies. But, yeah, I don't I don't know, man. I don't know. I'll tell you a secret Easter egg for the, for the podcast. So Jeff, Jeff Wadlow directed Fantasy Island. Right now, as of right now, it's still there. If you go to Jeff Wadlow's profile or not Jeff Wallace's profile but if you go to his like information page on Letterboxd it says he's directing the Magic 8 Ball movie <laughs> and if you click on <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you as of as of right now this podcast if you click on the Magic 8 Ball movie and you click on the poster it's a picture of the Magic 8 Ball but like in the center in the triangle where it says an answer if you zoom in in tiny letters it just says Someone fire Jeff Wadlow. <laughs> <laughs> now that's the kind of content we need in our lives. <laughs> but oh man, well before we get out of here, I would like each of you to give me a brief, just recap of why people should fucking spread the word of Green Room. 
you you go first. I'll all right. Green Room is <laughs> Green Room is one of those great movies where you again I stepped into it not knowing a fucking thing about what I was gonna do, and it has <laughs> the most. It's a simple premise. It's an easy premise. It's punks versus Nazis, and the dial gets turned up so fast and so quickly on not just like the it's not just violence either it's this awesome brutality throughout the movie but you are so locked in with your characters that you can't help like the whole time i i honestly was so sad when like when punk started dying i was like oh man not all these guys are gonna make it out and put out a sweet double live like that was like <laughs> that was the thing. Yes. But this movie does such a great job of <laughs> locking you into the world and keeping you there. And it's a tight movie too. It's a tight ninety minutes, ninety five yeah. maybe. Like this movie keeps you locked in the entire time, and it's the magic of that, of the magic of the world that you're living in. It's the magic of these performances that just sends this movie over the edge and makes you just a never want to go to Portland in the middle of the woods ever <laughs> and be, makes you want to throw on like an op Ivy record or something like that. Again, it, it, anytime I'm pushed to another medium of entertainment because I watched a movie that's, I'm like, that's a success for me. <laughs> I, I, yeah, man, I, I, I don't know what else to say beyond like, I just think that if you're a firing filmmaker and you're looking for films, you know, not not to like rip off, but if you're just looking for films to sort of like look to as like what you can do with the medium, I think Green Room is per, it's it's just per, one it's it's made by people that like true they like really understand the the craft of it all. You know, they know how to put a movie together, yeah. you know, but but it's so it's a movie that has it has movie stars. It has you know the actors that the director came up with. It it has you know it has it's violent, but it's not so violent that it feels like ex exploitation. And it it you're you're gonna have a good time with it. it it's just there's very few films yeah. made like this right now where it's like it's brutal and it's it's the mar it's honestly it, it's the perfect marriage between like a mainstream thriller. And like an indie movie with like great character sensibility, it's totally. also a movie about punks versus Nazis. Yeah, right. It's got the poster tagline, but also has all the other credits. Who doesn't love that? What's well, like the movie? My girl, my my wife, not my girlfriend. Jeez, I'll get in trouble. My wife was watching, and she's like, "This is hard to watch, and I hate it." But then got mad at me if I had to yeah. like pause it to go get water. You know, like that was her experience. She got so fucking wrapped in that's what i was like there's a lot of repulsive cutting of meat in this movie right that the belly slice and the arm snaps and the whatever the fuck they did to uh you know anton's uh. arm when he stuck it out there holding the gun there's just nastiness everywhere in this movie but i think it has such subtle and amazing depth yeah. of character everywhere that that you're you're willing to sit and you feel those wounds not as you know like hostile where you're just like ugh. You know, that's gross. You actually are oh, yeah. sympathetic with the characters, right? And especially in this world of seemingly easy to hate characters everywhere, yeah. you're like really, really invested all the time. And I think that's an amazing tightrope. And that's what I'll I'll take away from Green Room. Again, like the style and the energy, it's just like we talk about it's this alchemy of everything just feels so perfectly melded together that it's just, it's like a punk song, right? It's just tight and streamlined and to the point. 
and you yeah. just get so much out of it. I, I, I think it's a fucking phenomenal film. Uh, Josh, we want to thank you for coming on the show. This was an absolute perfect pick. Thank you thanks, so much, guys. man. Yeah, yeah thanks for letting us watch Green Room again. <laughs> Quickly, one sec. I got, I got to plug a couple things. Plug them, please. For any listeners, if you haven't seen Green Room, obviously watch Green Room. Uh, watch Nick Peschke's The Grudge and watch the deleted scenes. Interesting. I'm definitely that doing I, that. <laughs> I keep telling people to do it, and like, it's, it's super cool, and it gives you a really interesting insight into that, you know that that world yes but yeah that i just i gotta pimp that because i i was really impressed by some like really weird shit that you know for sure people won't. right but yeah i don't know and of course go find josh's movie i trapped the devil pay full price for it like i did <laughs> and you can find our episode where i gushed over it with our friend sam uh it's again it's one of those movies i keep telling you there's so many good horror movies and thriller movies out right now. And I think I Trap the Devil is that perfect movie for all of us. Thanks, man. Especially, you're locked inside, man. You got plenty of time. Go find these great movies. I Trap the Devil. Josh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's, I, I, uh, fuck, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever remember ours it's, either. <laughs> it's, I think it's I Am Josh Lobo. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> all right, guys, so Good find branding. Josh online. Yeah, follow him. Find his movie, I Trap the Devil. Of course, enjoy Green Room and The Grudge's deleted scenes. Uh, while you're doing that, please take a second, leave us a rating and review, share us on your socials, follow our YouTube channel, The Nerd Alchemist. Uh, and as always, guys, thanks for spending time with us. We'll catch you later.